Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We will, I will now call to order this evening's meeting of the Appropriations Committee. If we all please rise for the uh, Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Right, the first item on our agenda tonight is the approval of the minutes from March 10th. So I have a motion to approve the minutes. I move. Janice Hype made a motion to approve the minutes. Do I have a second? Tony Petit seconded. Uh, all in favor? Aye. I abstain. And all we had, it was unanimous, and Tim Caitlin uh, abstain. Uh, was not present for that meeting. So he, uh, yeah, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> so uh, we have a motion was made, seconded, and approved. All in favor? Aye. The minutes of March 10th have been approved. Yeah. Five in favor, one abstention. Okay. The next item on our agenda is, re is our reorganization, the election of officers. For this, I will turn the uh, meeting over to John Kadir. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Uh, so this is your annual reorganization. So we'll be electing a chairman and a vice chairman. So uh, I will start by opening the nominations for chair. Yes. Um, I think that Rick stepped into a very difficult situation and has done an excellent job. He's also the senior manor, member in terms of service on the board, and I would like to nominate him for chairman. Okay. Moving into debate instead of <laughs> moving right into discussion. Uh, so we have a nomination. Is there a, uh, for Rick as chairman? Is there a second? We have a second from George. Uh, are there any other any any other nominations from for uh, chairman? Seeing and hearing none. Any discussion? You okay with this, Rick? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Always, an Always important question. I asked him. Well, I asked him last week. Yeah. All those in favor? Unanimous. Um, the second is the uh, vice chairmanship, so we'll open nominations for vice chair. Well, I'll make a nomination for Janice Height, who has been here with me for quite a while also. All right. We have a nomination of Janice Height. Is there a second? Second. George Brinkle seconds. Don't you get sick? <laughs> <laughs> Any other nominations for vice chair? Seeing and hearing none. All those in favor of Janice Height for vice chair? Unanimous. Very good. I'll turn the meeting back over to you, Mr. Chairman. All right. The next item on our agenda is uh, to hear from the Aspet Valley Regional Technical School and their budget. And here presenting tonight. If <laughs> That's why I prepped this. <laughs> I won't be able to walk if I sit in that thing for too long. Thank you. And if you could please introduce the people with you. 
Absolutely. Good evening and thank you once again for hosting ASAVIT for our annual budget presentation. Uh, my name is Ernest Houle, Superintendent Director at ASAVIT. And with me this evening, our esteemed uh, representative from North Road, Ms. Uh, Virginia St. George, uh, who's doing a fantastic job as our chair of the school committee for the past three years, three years now, right? <laughs> uh, and then to my right, um, joining ASAVIT this year in, in late uh, middle September, uh, is uh, Maria Silva, our new Director of Business Operations. Uh, her predecessor, Chris, uh, had a professional growth opportunity and decided to take that, as, uh, what was in the best interest for his family, uh, and that was around the July timeframe. So as the temporary business manager for a couple months, I'm glad I'm no longer in that role, and that I'm just superintendent. <laughs> so Maria came on board and uh, is actually from uh, another tech school, uh, Greater Lawrence. Uh, up north, as she likes to say, because she lives in Andover. Um, but she's joined us, and uh, whenever I told her our budget schedule, uh, that you know a tentative budget has to be approved in December, um, I think she was ready to pack her bag up and head back north <laughs> again, because it's such a quick turnaround uh, from when she started. But I think you'll see with the budget that's presented, there are a couple of slightly uh, slight adjustments uh, in the way in which Maria prepares her budget that may be different than what you've seen in the past, but we'll walk those through for you. Um, I will say, I believe the book, right, we have a, there's a typo that we found in the book, uh, and we'll explain to you what that typo is when we get there. Uh, we assure you it's it's the greater number and not the less number that's in there, uh, but it's an overall budget number. <clears throat> so quickly, um, I, I have a portion of the uh, packs that you just uh, received. The budget book is what we're going to be handing out at town meeting, and will be available all to all community members. Um, and we'll work from this uh, PowerPoint presentation that we have here. But first, I'd like to just have you open up this book for one quick page here, to page 30, to kind of show you a student profile uh, from the students from Lothro. <clears throat> and what you'll see on page 30, actually, is that uh, it's a student profile. And what you're looking at is a high school, it's the high school breakdown uh, but you'll see in your numbers, and we always, John always says we have good years and bad years when it comes to financial pieces because, because it all depends on student enrollment. What I can tell you is this year your student enrollment uh, for FY23, based on the October 1 numbers, have increased by nine students. So what you'll see is uh, here, it says 65 students on this page because this is strictly high school. But there are also three post-secondary students either enrolled in our practical nursing program and or cosmetology. Um, but because this is all high school data, we don't mix the two. You'll see it in the enrollment data where it gets broken out. Um, you'll see that out of the 65 students, how many of those students are receiving special education services? You'll see that four of those students are out on a cooperative work placement, working in uh, business and industries uh, on the weeks in which they would be in their technical program. Of course, they have to have a uh, high grade average and meet all the criteria in their technical program to go out. Um, one uh, English language limited proficiency, and then there's 29 students who would be categorized as economically disadvantaged. When you look at the shop choice of the 65 students, that's where they're placed throughout our technical programs. Uh, and it looks like metal fabrication is the winner for your students from Northborough. Uh, that's the top choice that they've uh, of shop that they've chosen, um, and then it looks like second is design and visual communications. 
Uh, down below is uh, class of 2021 postgraduate. Uh, it looks like he had five go directly into the world of work. He had one go into military, and he had one go to a, a two-year public, uh, when it says public school, it's a college. That could also be advanced technical training depending upon their field. Uh, and then the last, the bottom is just all of the fast, uh, school-wide fast facts for the class of 21. Uh, and you'll see that most of our, all of, of the 264 students, all those students graduated, and they also left with industry-recognized credentials. So that would be, uh, they all earn an OSHA 10 certification, whether it's in general, uh, general uh, industry or construction industry, uh, as well as uh, their specifics in their career field. So in the welding career field, they leave with an, uh, it's a mass bridge certification D1.5, which allows them to work and weld on buildings and bridges. Uh, or if they're in culinary arts, they are getting service aid certification and tip certification. So they actually will earn industry credentials in high school. Uh, and then if you look at page 31, it's just <coughs> the chart and the breakdown. You can kind of see total enrollment of the school. You can see it by the towns. Uh, again, the percentage of special ed students. And you can see uh, the breakdown between the 65 that, you know, it's about 43, is that 63? 43% of the students that come from Northborough are receiving special education services. Um, <coughs> that's the only thing we'll look at for the book. <clears throat> um, just a couple other quick facts that uh, I'll give you too. So with COVID, you know, all school districts had to deal with COVID and we're still dealing with that. Uh, Asabit was lucky if you remember we had a renovation project. We have very large spaces in the building, our shop areas, our classrooms. So we were fortunate and prioritized uh, in-person learning when it came to career and technical education. Uh, because we knew that most of the essential jobs, um, the students needed to be in person. Uh, and then academics, they were pulled out of one period of their vocational uh, to have face-to-face -face academic time. And, and then the rest of that time of academics was done remotely. Um, the other piece that's happened since we've last seen you is that we've had a, uh, I just want to give you an update on admissions very quickly. And you'll see how we tie in the financial piece and why this is important. Uh, in June of, uh, June 22nd, 2021, uh, the Department of Education had changed the regulations for admissions to career in technical and agricultural schools in Massachusetts. The focus was to basically have a focus on uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion of students wanting to uh, enroll in vocational education in agricultural uh, schools. So they basically put some criteria in to remove obstacles that may be discriminatory to certain uh, population of students. So ASAVIT, in looking at the regs with the uh, support of the school committee, voted what we call a minimum criteria lottery, and, and basically removed any requirements that required uh, grades to be submitted and or attendance. Uh, not that we don't think that grades are important, scholastic achievement is something that students should be striving for. Obviously important, however we looked at, there may have been some students if they were only getting C's, or may have had some situation where they had and a minimal amount of absences, they may not even apply to ASPA. So by removing that, we have an application that they submit. They get a letter of uh, recommendation, which can be sent by anybody as long as it's not a relative or a parent. Um, and then they sit for an interview. And then that's not judged at all. And then they, they get put into a lottery hat. Uh, and with that lottery hat, um, 
we have a minimum criteria number for each of our member towns. So for Northborough, the number is 17 students. So we looked at a three-year average of what your enrollment was for students coming as a freshman. We set a minimum criteria for this first go-around, but we wanted to make sure that the smaller towns didn't lose out on swaps because Marlborough and Hudson have the largest amount of kids coming. So there's a minimum number of 17 students that could potentially get in for the next school year. Um, however, I'm just going to take a drink. You guys always get me when the allergies are starting to you know, come back, and I start to lose my voice here. Um, and why I say this is important is because with the influx of in-district applications, I spoke about it the past several years, we're starting to see more in-district applications, therefore causing the ability to take out-of-district students. So the reason why that's important financially is right now we offset in our tuition revenue plan, in our revenue plan for the, our budget, we use out-of-district money to offset member assessments. So this current year, we allocated $4.6 million to offset what we charge our member assessments. You'll see in this revenue plan, it's dropped to 3.5. And that's directly correlated to only having 57 students in the freshman class this year that are out of students. Okay? So when we fill that minimum criteria lottery of about 243 students from our seven member towns, that remaining 57 will randomly pick members from the seven member towns out of that hat. So if Northborough was really lucky, you could have another 57 students get pulled out of that hat. I don't think we have that many applied. But out of that 57, you'd have additional numbers that would be added to that 17. So there's not necessarily a cap. It's just the minimum to guarantee that three-year average. Um, but so what's going to potentially happen is if we keep having this large number of students, we currently have about 500 and, uh, uh, 575,580 <coughs> applications. 480 of those are in-district students, and the remainder are out-of-district, and we only take 300 students. So we're going to have 300 students of all in-district. We'll then have a wait list of whatever remaining in-district students are. That'll be our lottery, and then we'll do a separate lottery for out-of-district. So until we go through all of our in-district, we won't go and touch the out-of-district. So over the starting next year, and then over the subsequent uh, following three years, you may see that out-of-district tuition money disappear, unless they're in an uh, upperclassman role, that transfer in, or we're in the school, and then you know, say they move to Worcester or something like that. They may still be in the school. Um, they may collect some small amount of uh, out-of-district tuition money. But I just wanted to put that out there, that part of that is the regulation, but part of that is also the interested aspect. Can I ask a question now since we're on this topic? Your number two on the list here is, is other behind uh, Marlborough. So you obviously have a lot of out-of-district people the, right now. Yeah, in the upper grades. In the upper grades. Yeah. So you're seeing this as a forecast? As, oh, yeah. So for okay. the past five years, we've seen it. When I started, I, was, I started in 2015, uh, the year of the 2015-16 school year, we had... We used to get about 175 in-district applications for, at that time, 275 squats. So we had about 100 out-of-district students. And then we've done some different recruiting. We did some rebranding. 
um, and focused on our district folks. And as that's happened, as well as other things that have happened in society, saying sometimes you know the cost of the college education, you can kind of earn and work it as you're trying to pay for it. We will work for a company. Well, that's given vocational education a little bit more of a, a focus and awareness. And Governor Baker's also you know funneled some money and funding to it. So we've seen that number drop. Uh, 57 was not the lowest. The year prior was like 46. Is it more advantageous to have? Like, I don't know who this other category is, like Shrewsbury, maybe. Yeah, that's what that's. It yeah. may be a bulk of it. Is that more advantageous for them to become a member or for us? Or they can't. They can't? I don't think so. Yeah, well, it's, it's, a, it's a long, complicated process. <laughs> oh, so okay. so what happens is, with the way the regulations are written, if we have available seats, we can open them up if there's no other member, folks that want to come in. And that's what's happened over the past number of years. Okay. Clinton and Shrewsbury have probably sent us the most. To the, to the uh, point where most members, most families from those towns think they're members. They don't realize they're not members of the town. Um, we have an interesting situation with Berlin Boylston, because Berlin is, part, is a member. Boylston is not, but the students go to the Berlin Boylston Middle School. So half of their friends will get in, and the other half are going to be turned away, most likely. So there is a potential of having members join the district. It's probably a multi-year process. The town would have to send a letter to the school committee. The school committee would have to entertain it and vote and have a full majority vote. So they can't to, do it. To have them do it, yeah. Um, the problem with that is that it would end up coming back to the towns, but we'd have to understand what the buy-in would be. They would have to pick up part of the capital project that you folks voted, right. so that would have to be all reallocated. We have to figure out how we determine their debt ratio because they weren't members at the time. So do we go back and look at the three-year three, three year rolling average of when they had students here? And I can tell you there's some interest from another town, Sudbury, that they didn't have any kids here back in that day. So that would be a challenging piece. Uh, and then you'd have a buy-in time of how they would potentially do that. But that would also change. Um, you'd have to figure out ownership and all the... Uh, yeah. Okay, I, I, I know it's complicated. So it's at least a, it's not a solution to them, you know, unfortunately having students get in next year. It's a longer term. One of the things that we're seeking, that I'm seeking, is potentially, um, obviously we can't put an addition on the building because it would be too expensive. Uh, I've already looked at a $70,000, a 70,000 square foot addition. That's another $50 million. And I don't think our towns have the appetite to do that while we still have this debt okay. service payment. Uh, but we are looking at potential, is there long-term leasing that could happen that I could potentially rent out a commercial building that has been vacated because of folks leaving because they're working remotely now or businesses closed due to COVID or, so we're looking at some creative ways to potentially, you know, I mean, it would be nice to service all of our students in district. And then if we had out of district kids as well, uh, we keep telling the governor, because I've had a few phone calls from the folks in the big office about you know what's happening in Shrewsbury and I said you know I don't have space so when when Astabit actually was renovated they asked MSBA to expand and they didn't allow it so um, but okay. so that's just that's just quickly on the admissions piece so oh, it's Tony um, sure uh, with all that um, what is your present rate of acceptance in other words among the applicants uh, how many got in how many get in? Um, <clears throat> normally, um, we probably only turn away maybe seven or eight. 
and that was in the old process. This is a completely new process. So we're still, you know, as we even do the lottery, if you can imagine, just like on a bingo night, right, and you pull the balls, the, all the students would be assigned a number, and then we put all the, all the things in a, in a turnstile. Someone's going to pull it. We're going to videotape it so that way if anybody questions anything, we can see it. Um, but with that, unless they, have, unless they don't meet one of the criteria that I spoke about, like being promoted to the uh, eighth grade, ninth grade, or if they have some kind of disciplinary action that's uh, a, a 37 age and a half or three quarters in the regulation, that's somebody with a felony or a potential assault and battery, those would be the only things that would keep the student out. Right, but then among the students who do have, meet the criteria, what percentage will you be taking in? This time around? If they meet the criteria, we're going to take the 300, they'll be accepted. Everybody else will be waitlisted. And, and so what's the denominator? In other words, 300 in out of how many? 300 out of uh, 475 in district. And then there's another 100 or so out of district. So those folks will all be put on a waitlist as well. Because we do have some students, they apply. They end up spending the summer with their friends, realize they don't want to leave their friends, so they don't show up in August when they come to see us. And as soon as we take a note or try and make a connection and they say, yeah, we've decided not to come, we then go to the next name on the list and say, hey, we've got an opening, would you like to come in? But it's correct to say that your acceptance rate is? is 300. Well, yeah, well, it's, it's a little it's, over 50%. Acceptance rate? Yes. The 300 coming in out of 575 applications? Right. Right. Well, they'll be accepted. All of them will be accepted and just put on a wait list. So we accept all well, of them unless they don't actually the show up. Will be three hundred. There yeah. are five hundred seventy-five applications. All we have spaces. And for you'll have three hundred. Yep. So your rate is a little over fifty percent. Yep. All right. All right. So I'm going to move on to this uh, uh, presentation real quick. On the second page, you have some topics there that we're going to cover. Um, I'm not going to read you through all those, but you'll see as we go. I'm going to bring you through a few slides, and then I'm going to turn it over to Maria. I'm on the FY23 budget overview. It's the third page. Uh, and you'll see that the operating budget for FY23 is $24,108,684. It's a $1,004,684 increase which indicates a 4.3% increase over the uh, current year. Um, and then you'll see the capital um, budget, which, it, like I said, it's a little bit of a different terminology. In the past, we've said that's our capital assessment from the renovation project. Maria does things just slightly different, but it's really the same thing. Um, this is the seventh debt service payment for FY23, 1,867,875, and it's a $55,000 decrease overall um, that will be shared by the seven member towns, and we'll we'll let you know what number um, share will be in there. But one of the things that I will tell you is, as we look at the budget drivers, I mentioned um, you know our numbers of special education students and also our, our ELL students. So as we look at diversity and equity and trying to get more students um, who potentially would have, have obstacles in the past, we've also changed how we do recruiting. Uh, so we're seeing our ELL no, uh, student numbers increase as well as uh, students with disabilities. We tend to have a student um, uh, population that require special education services anywhere between the 25 to 32 percent uh, across the board. <coughs> this year it happens to be 25 percent. Um, and as we've seen those numbers decrease, we've seen the 
level of services per student increase. And of course, across the board, all school districts, uh, uh, mental health and social emotional type of issues uh, with the pandemic, those are some things that are creating a little bit more requirement of services. Uh, because we are a fully um, a full inclusion school, we don't have any pullouts or resource rooms. Uh, we try to appropriate our class sizes so we have co-taught classes with either uh, two teachers or a para. Uh, you'll also see that we have a, a continued uh, diverse program of studies. You know, we have students, industry, and parents that require advanced type classes. So we do offer AP classes, languages uh, that are taught in the high school. Uh, where a lot of schools will do those in after school or virtual programs. Uh, we have our athletics and extracurricular. And then lastly, this meets all the contractual obligations for the district uh, as we try to move back to a pre-COVID staffing level and service level. So when COVID hit, uh, ACIBIT uh, did not renew 21 positions. Uh, seven of those were a reduction in force. The other ones were either retirement or resignation for whatever reason. Uh, and what we did was most of those positions, we tried to just roll them into something else or um, I think the term is voluntold. You know, you're gonna be picking up this as an, as an administrator, you're picking up this other role. Um, that's the other duties as assigned, so to speak, in order to save the uh, district some money. Uh, and if you recall that year, uh, we had cut our budget because you know, the unknown factors of COVID, uh, that particular year we cut our then budget uh, by about $435,000. Any questions so far? Okay. Yes. What's a building substitute? Does oh. that mean it's a roof? Or you're, a on, you're on the next page already. Oh. Oh, that's okay. Uh, so yeah, staffing adjustments. A building substitute is basically just a sub. A sub. So uh, it's kind of general purpose. Yeah, somebody that we can kind of plug in put wherever we have a, an opening or a vacancy. Um, it's uh, Most schools are dealing with it. There are a lot of folks that either they're out because of medical or their children because of medical or COVID or whatever it is, trying to find staffing replacements. And of course, there was some other leniency with um, people going out with COVID and getting COVID pay uh, and potentially being out. Um, it's difficult to find subs. So we said, you know what, if we can at least get one full-time building sub that will be in the building that we can rely on and we know that if we have to plug anywhere, uh, they'll be busy. I would love to report to you that we have days in which we have nobody out, but that's not the case because uh, there's always something happening. But that's what the building sub is. We, we look to replace a, a librarian. We haven't <coughs> had one for two years. The technical specialist is basically a person that will work in our technical programs with those students requiring special education services. Normally what happens is you have special education teachers on the academic side of the house that will work with the students in academics, but on a vocational side, uh, the percentage of students with requiring special education services could be upwards of around 60 to 70% in that technical area. We do not discriminate against the student based on what, what types of services they need. So if they choose to go in a particular shop, uh, you could have anywhere at 60, 70, 80 percent of the students in there. So this would be a, a teacher that would be assigned to four or five uh, programs and we would spend the day on those programs working with students on their technical theory or related theory uh, curriculum. Uh, phys ed instructor, we had four before COVID. We went down to one. Uh, so we're going to try and get that up by adding another. And the last one is a paraprofessional that works uh, on the academic side of the house. The one thing I will say about ASVIT, we always are looking at grants. 
um, and utilize grant funding to offset or augment what we do in trying to keep the budget fiscally responsible. Um, but with grants, they're really there to start up a program that you're going to be looking to do. And then over time, you need to pull that person off and working into the operational budget. And so that's what that is there. All right, any questions? So the enrollment changes, if you look at the next slide, <clears throat> you'll see Northborough. And uh, Northborough, like I said, has 68. And these numbers uh, are generated from the October 1st, 2021, whatever our student enrollment was at that time, um, that's how the state funding, that's what they look at as part of the formula in which we receive our money uh, through the Chapter 70 Foundation budget. Uh, so of that, you can see there's three post-secondary students in that column. And then it indicates that it's, um, you know, you have nine, nine more than last year. Uh, and then again, if you look down below, we've actually called out the larger out-of-district towns. So if you look down the bottom, you'll see Shrewsbury, a minus 14 from the year prior. You'll see Clinton's minus 10 from the year prior. Um, Shrewsbury called us at the beginning of this year and said, we have 100 students. Do you guys have any room? <laughs> that was in September. Because, and we said, no, we don't. <laughs> so, so it's a little bit of challenge there. Um, and you'll see what the numbers are in the rest of the towns. So at this point, I'm going to stop, and I'll jump in on occasion, but uh, I'm going to turn it over to Maria. We will end on some good news that we'll share. Bad news for us, but good news to you. I think John already knows this, but we'll see. Um, it's always good to get money back, right? Uh, but I'm going to let Maria go ahead and we'll go from there. Thanks. Talk loud. I know, I have this little microphone here. So, like... Ernie said, um, my name is Maria Silva. I come from Greater Lawrence, where I spent the first 20 years of my career. Then I ended, you know, ended up at Acevit back in September. My first time in Northborough. Don't even know where I am geographically, <laughs> but here I am. Um, all, all these cities and towns, or actually all these towns, I've really never heard of um, when I got to Acevit. But I've learned a lot of towns around here. Um, so I'm going to go through these slides pretty quickly. You can stop me as I go. I do tend to go a lot faster um, just because I've been looking at these numbers for months and months. So they're really easy for me. So the first chart you see here, it comes from the Department of Ed. It shows what our Chapter 70 funding is going to be for ASPIT, which is $7,477,986. And then our uh, minimum local contribution for all the cities and towns. Um, I know there's only one city in the rest towns um, is eleven million four hundred and thirty four thousand forty two dollars with an overall um, budget of eighteen million nine hundred and twelve thousand and twenty eight dollars. So the next slide you'll see where we'll focus more on Northborough. Um, and like Ernie stated, there's sixty eight students, which is a reduction an increase of nine. Um, so your overall budget, your minimum local contribution is $1,143,066, which is an increase of $211,591. Um, I think the 
miss or what people don't understand is that the percentage that it increases isn't based on the number of students, it's based on a formula set by the state, and it's on the like median income of the city or town and their um, ability to pay. There's businesses they take into account and um, all kinds of factors that give us this number. So it really is set by the state and it's not driven by the number of students. So you'll see a, someone like Marlboro may have more students, but the percentage of what their increase is probably not. And I don't even know Northboro at all, so I don't know what the ability to pay here is. So, but that's how it's set by the state. Um, so what you'll see in the next slide is um, in last fiscal year, um, Northboro decided to take advantage of the one-time opportunity that was presented to us after the governor set its budget last January, and that was to use some of our SR2 money to reduce your assessment. Um, you did take advantage of that, and so it was about 31365000 which you will see kind of built back into your FY23 um, assessment, which overall seems like it's a much bigger jump. So the person paying the assessment is going to see that the, the assessment is so much more than what I stated in the previous slide, but that's because this 31000 is back embedded into the assessment. So, um, like I said, your overall assessment is still $1,143,066. The next page is our revenue plan. Again, our Chapter 78 is close to $7.5 million. As Bernie stated earlier, we do utilize out-of-district tuition, which this number will decrease as the years go on and we get less and less out-of-district students. This year for FY22, they allocated $4.6 from out-of-district. Next year, we only are allocating $3.5 to kind of just you know, adjust our budget as we foresee it happening in the future. The other revenue sources we have here is we're taking um, $300,000 from our END, which is our excess and deficiency, which is the same thing, I guess, as free cash um, on the town side, and then interest income, Medicaid reimbursement, and E-rate reimbursement. For an overall um, revenue plan of uh, $3 million, oh, well, no, that's, the, that's just that piece. And then we have our $667,889. That is our regional transportation. That number came out with the cherry shoot numbers. Um, this number has re been reduced from, la from FY22. Um, the district received 795,000 in re regional transportation. This fiscal year, FY23, has gone down to 667,000. So the member community assessment, this includes um, other fixed costs that the member are obligated to pay, and I'll show that in the next slide. But our overall revenue plan is $25,976,559. Rick, can I ask you a question, if I may, uh, in terms of the transportation? So every year the governor comes out, they're always the low number on regional transportation. It was odd that he decided to cut it. But I think one of the reasons he did that is he knows the legislature is going to restore it. So that number is highly unlikely to, to be the number. Uh, so when that gets restored or gets increased, how does that then get factored back? So the way I've always done it is actually not only just that number, not the, just the transportation number, but also the um, assessment as well, the Chapter 70. So right now it's just at the House, and then it has to go to Senate. It has to go to the next... The Joint Conference. The Conference Committee. And then all the, the way till vote. the end of July, really, around July 25th is when we right. get our final number, and that's when I 
again, I, Greater Lawrence, always brought it back to the school committee to revote those numbers. So, so it gets rebalanced based on the final and state then, aid numbers. So the first assessment usually goes out in July or August. So that assessment is based on these numbers. And then once the final numbers come out in July, um, <coughs> we used to go and revote the budget with school committee's approval and then reassess the assessments to the cities and towns, whichever way they go. Um, a lot of the times, if they drop in, within the member communities, it, it ends up higher in Chapter 70. Um, and then again, with the cherry sheet numbers, um, with the regional transportation, that number gets adjusted. It gets adjusted in your assessment as well. So we, I do redo um, an adjustment in September. And then we've had one year of the COVID year where they did another adjustment in December. So we had to do another adjustment to the cities and towns during 2020. But that's the way, we, that's the way I've always handled it okay. at Greater Lawrence. And then, uh, the other quick question I had was in terms of the E&D using 300000 to to uh, towards the budget, mm -hmm. um, what, is the, what is the balance in the E&D and what percentage? Do you have a policy regarding what you keep in there? Um, yep. We have actually, and this will come up later, but we are exactly at 5%. And we went over, which is where we will be doing. I'm stealing your thunder here. Sorry. <laughs> it's Okay. Um, so that will come later, but we are at 5% okay. of, our, of our budget, which is just over a million dollars. Yeah, um, and I think um, just, I think for clarification, I think the need for 5%, uh, we, we try and reach that because as you, as you folks know, um, you know, we're like a municipality on our own. We have our, we pay our own health insurance. We pay for all our snow removal, any upkeep and care for the building. Um, you know, like many of our uh, member school districts, Snow plowing is all handled by DPW department, so that's not an additional cost that they pay. Uh, obviously, being fully insured uh, on an ind independent uh, health insurance plan, that's a you know that can come and go, and substitutes and long-term subs and all that type of stuff. So we tend to keep you know uh, try and keep some extra uh, excess and deficiency up to that point of the five percent of what we can carry. Um, so that way we can also use it to augment in the next. Because you can only use that money in the next following school year that you've allocated for the last school year. And through the chair, if I may, and you mentioned um, health insurance. I'm just curious uh, where you landed because you had Fallon like we did, and as yep. as these folks know, Fallon dropped everybody in the uh, in the public sector, and uh, now they're just doing uh, Medicare work. So, how, how did you make out? I'm just curious. So we um, ended up with Harvard Pilgrim Healthcare. Um, and as did we yep and you'll see that uh, and it was funny because we switched to Fallon because we were with Blue Cross Blue Shield and then our numbers went way up we had high claims data um, we we're going to be 10 or 14 percent then we went to Fallon and then uh, it's interesting Blue Cross came in and they had a huge cut uh, and I said well how can that happen when I was just two years ago at you know 14 percent and now you're going almost 20 percent in the opposite direction um, but yeah, so we ended up, um, I think it was, a, a they gave us a very good rate, um, and you'll see a reduction actually in the budget. Um, the Most of our folks are gonna actually save on their plans. Uh, and just as a reminder for the folks that uh, any anybody hired prior to July 1st, 2019, it's a 75-25 split. 75% uh, paid by the uh, district, 25 paid by the employee. And after July 1st, 2019, it's a 70-30 split. So we've tried to control those healthcare costs from, uh, you know, whether it's additional monies and copays and things of that nature. 
Luckily, uh, Harvard came in and actually matched what Fallon was doing, uh, but at a cheaper rate. Yeah, we got a very good uh, a very good renewal through the bid as well, with, and we went with Harvard Pilgrim. So I'm glad to hear you guys. It worked out for you as well. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. You're on this side. Yes, Bob. Yeah, I, I guess. Can you help me wrap my head around this? I mean, you're charging Northborough for the new students like twenty three thousand five hundred dollars per student. When I look at Northborough, North. Marlboro's numbers, you're only charging $9,000 per student. Can you explain why? Yeah, that's what I had stated earlier. So it's not the, the what we charge, the assessment is not based per student. It's based on the city or town's ability to pay. The medium income in the town or city. And it's that much. It, I mean, just to give you an example, for, for Greater Lawrence, where I spent 20 years of my career, our students that came from Lawrence were, we had about 1,200 students and their assessment, minimum local contribution to the city of Lawrence was like 1.1 million. From the city of Methuen, we had about 283 students and their assessment was 2.4 million dollars. seems like that gap is increasing though. It's, 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 so, yeah, and it's. Yeah, you can, you actually, uh, if you look back on this FY23 chapter 70 page real quick, I actually was gonna bring it up when we looked at it, but if you look at Northborough, Right? And you had an increase of nine students for an additional $211,591. But if you look at Marlboro, they had an additional 29 students, only about $47,000 more than what you're paying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that caught my eye. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's all based on basically your ability, like she said, ability to pay, aggregate growth, uh, wealth. Is it ability. that much of a difference between Marlboro and Northboro? According to the state. Formula, which I couldn't tell you or explain it because it's probably, you know, right? Is, is Vigian behind us? <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Some of, there All might right. be some wastewater money in there. <laughs> Just joking. I know it's so subjective. <laughs> you know, Bob. Uh, just think of it this way, you know, we um, we got the MSBA project for the high school, for your call, right? So back when the high school was renovated there, and uh, we got into a dispute with um, the town of Southborough <coughs> over how that money should be allocated. And the reason was it should have been allocated differently based on these wealth factors. So ultimately, we wound up with $1.7 million more because of the wealth differential between Northborough and Southborough. So, but it goes... That way, uh, there's communities that are better off than us, but going the other way. It just, it just seems like every time I look at this, it's just the gap is getting bigger. And yeah. Bigger. It's like, that's. And, and what was the reimbursement rate for uh, North Coast South uh, It was probably about 48%, I think. All right. So, yes, and, and the, I was on a call with Desi today um, with some of the people from Desi, and this came up because we're doing a. a some PD regarding regional um, assessments. And I say, well, I go to the town meetings and I just blame Desi because it really isn't my formula, it's their formula. So I was like, they're like, oh, well, you can blame us. I'm like, it's your formula. I have no control over your formula. So, and, and Methuen up, nor up north where I live, Methuen always had a huge problem with it too because they had a third of the students and paid more than twice as much. And, and we can actually, and Maria's done it in her previous role up at Great Lawrence, if you wanted to have a meeting with Desi and meet with the financial people, they'll come in and they'll try and explain what the formula is if, you're, if you really want to spend your time to do that. 
Yeah, we've actually had experts come in to try to explain this, uh, the Chapter 70 formula, and, and uh, it's, unfortunately what happened is with Ed Reform, you know, there was a, a formula that was put in place, and then as the circumstances changed, the legislature never wanted to go back and fix the fundamental problems with the formula. So all they did was add another layer, and then another layer, and then another variable, and another layer. So it's so convoluted, it doesn't make sense, because every time they modified the formula, the point was they were trying to hold everybody harmless, and then trying to shift the new money to where it, you know, where they're trying to get it. Ultimately, right now, where things are is, you've heard me talk about the Student Opportunity Act. Student Opportunity Act, now all the money is going to disadvantaged um, school districts. And, and again, from a public policy standpoint, you understand that. But you're seeing some districts getting increases in Chapter 70, you know, 11, 12, 14%. We're getting 1% in Northborough. That's all we've gotten. That's all we're going to get. So, uh, so all the new revenue that you hear about coming through the state is disproportionately going to the uh, disadvantaged uh, communities. And so as a minimum aid community, which is what Northborough is, we only receive $30 per student. That's why on Monday, when we have our legislative delegation in, here's a plug for you to be sharp on Monday, because you'll be at that meeting. Uh, we have asked the legislature and lobbied them for $100 minimum per student, so that, uh, so that um, Northborough and the other districts don't lose ground. And uh, because, as you know, on an annual basis, I mean, this budget's going up 4.3%. Ours is going up about 3.5%. If state aid's going up 1%, we're continuing losing ground. And what you're seeing, Bob, is that disparity that you've noted, that gap is growing. But that's why. It's growing by design. Uh, but, uh, but I wouldn't waste your time trying to understand the Chapter 70 formula. Better people than me. I've, I've had the Commissioner of Education. I was at a workshop with, uh, with, 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 with the education folks and. and they admitted right in the front that they couldn't explain it. That's a big gap. In yeah. So if I can figure it out, I would be a genius. <laughs> they don't even attempt it. Yeah, but worse is moving forward, we're not going to see any additional uh, assistance in state aid. I have good news at the end, but we'll continue. <laughs> so again, you have the minimum local contribution for Northborough, and then um, the regional transportation we alluded to earlier, we take the full amount of what the um, transportation cost is for the district, we reduce it by the regional transportation reimbursement, and then the remainder is, remaining is broken out uh, against um, the, the communities. Um, and it's broken out based on the percentage of students that come to us. We're on the FY23 oh, transportation debt Sorry, we realize there's no page numbers on these slides. We tried. <laughs> it's all right. It's a cost-cutting thing. I understand. <laughs> so, um, so the transportation for Northborough's portion of 7.5% of students is $42,875. Um, the OPEP trust that took, I, I'm not sure when it went to place, but your portion of that is $2,615. And then your long-term long debt, and I don't know, I'll know in the next slide, but that number was, um, that percentage was a three-year running percentage of the number of students that were going to ASCAPIT at the time that they took out the bond and they came up with this debt schedule. 
So um, your percentage is not based on the seven and a half, but I'll show you what it is on a couple of slides from now. But your long-term debt is $130,004. So your overall, um, I'm Northboro. Yeah, your overall budget um, for Northboro is um, $1,318,560. Let me see the six C students. Um, Ernie spoke about the capital assessment earlier. Again, the 1.1 million is what's going towards the principal. That won't change. The interest is the $767,875. Um, that's the savings from $55,000 from last year. And then the district is still also holding on to a ban um, that they took out at the time of the renovation as well. Um, and we have four years left on that. But the member towns do not pay an assessment towards that piece. Ray, can I ask you a question on there regarding your OPEB? I'm just curious. Uh, so how much in, in total you're putting $35,000 a year into your o, OPEB trust fund? Mm -hmm. Is that the, what's your uh, funding ratio at now? Do you? I don't know off the top of my head. It's, I mean, our liability is probably oh, 8 yeah. million and something. Yeah. This was when it, the 35,000 was when it first was introduced and established and approved. Yeah. And then it's never gone up since. Right. So that's probably right. something that we'll be looking at increasing over the next several years as well. Because we'll never meet the liability at that amount. Yeah. <laughs> Very low. Very low. It's, everybody's in the same, in the same boat. Our, our liability is, uh, is somewhere around, uh, uh, around uh, about $34 million, um, but uh, we're slowly nudging up our funding ratio, uh, but uh, but it's a slow go. So. How are you contributing every year? Uh, about 550000 We're doing 100000 at Greater Lawrence, and that's still pretty low. Yeah. When I came and I saw 35000 I was like, well, we'll never reach that. Well, we should be we should be putting in about $1.2 million, but I was just curious how you guys were doing. That's, that's another thing that people can't explain, right? Yeah. Open their liability. He has a question. Rick. Oh, yes, Tony. Okay. Um, thanks. Uh, on a previous slide, it said the member assessments for Northboro was $1.143 million. Um, here it says that's not the assessment. It's just something toward foundation, but the actual assessment is $1.3 million? Yeah, so the, the $1.1 so million is what's the minimum local contribution that's set by the state. So that's not the assessment? That's just the minimum local contribution. That's part of the assessment. So and part then of it. Okay. The so biggest it's not portion. the assessment, right. Okay. And then the full assessment includes the busing, the <coughs> OPEB trust, and the debt. Okay. So, yeah, one part is set by the state, the other part is based on the obligations for your state. Mm -hmm. So then on this side, the capital assessment slide, um, you'll see, like I said earlier, there's 7.5% students that come to ACIBIT from um, Northborough. However, when the, the average was taken back in, I don't know, 2013 or 14 or something, um, as, uh, sorry, Northborough had 6.96% of students. That was your average. So that percentage will never change for the life of the bond. So regardless if your numbers go down to 2% of your students or 30% of your students come to ACIBIT, that number won't change um, for the life of the bond. So $130,004 is your assessment, which is a reduction of $3,828. The next page you'll see the actual debt assessment, I mean debt schedule. Again, you'll see Northboro here in all these communities. Um, those percentages won't change. 
So Northboro, you'll see your assessment on what your um, your assessment will be all the way through 2042. You guys see the schedule. So the last page really I have is um, the proposed expenditures. This is where you'll see a little bit of a typo on, in the book. It, sh it is the $25,976,559 um, and the book is $926,000. Um, so, but we adjusted it here in the PowerPoint. Um, these are the expenditures based on the function codes that I have to report out to the Department of Ed. Um, so it's kind of high, big picture. You can see most of our expenses are within the instructional piece, which is all of our staffing for teachers and all of our um, equipment and supplies and everything for our students. Um, and then the other piece that you'll see where Ernie alluded to earlier was the health insurance. Originally, it was budgeted for $3.1 million. In an FY23, it'll be down to $4.5, almost $4.5 million. 2.5 million, sorry, 2.5 million, it went down. And then um, the long-term debt, the short-term debt interest, I build it into the budget. Um, my predecessor didn't not normally build it into the budget. It was kind of like on the side, but because it's part of your, that piece isn't part of your assessment, but it's part of our budget, it's built into the budget. And then your short-term and long-term debt, Again, that was built separately. I build it within the budget because it's part of your assessment and it's our overall budget and I kind of just like to see the big picture of what the number is. Um, but that's pretty much all I have as far as um, the revenue plan and the expenditures and where we're looking to spend the money. So the last thing that I will share and then we'll take any remaining questions. <clears throat> we talked a little bit about E&D um, up to that 5% threshold. Um, last year, there were a couple of audit reports that, that were not completed in a timely fashion. Um, basically, when we took care of those, we found out that one of the reports um, had caused our FY21 transportation reimbursement to be held. So we didn't get that money until August. So with it being in a new fiscal year, we needed to report it. Um, it actually had to be reported in FY21. So when we had our E&D, we found out that $864,765 was above and beyond the 5% that we're allowed to keep. So therefore, we need to return, we need to return that $864,765 back to our member towns. Uh, there were several ways to do that. The school committee had voted and we chose that in the first quarter, invoice than which you'll get your invoice for member assessments uh, in FY23. Um, the first quarter invoice of the 1318560 will be reduced by the amount coming back to Northboro, which is $64,620. <clears throat> so you'll see the first quarter invoice of that, you know, 1318 uh, broken up by four, it'll have the first quarter minus the 64, 60, 20, uh, and then that first payment, and then the remaining three quarter payments will be whatever the remaining member assessments will be. So that's the we ended on a good note. <laughs> so, if I may, through this year, I know there's a, a lot of numbers that have been thrown out, and I know you're following along, but uh, just in the in the in the grand scheme of things, 
the ASABIT's overall budget is going up 4.3%. Northborough's assessment, and this is uh, the operating and debt assessment, as much as you want to break it up, that's all I care about because that's the bill that I have to pay and you have to pay. Uh, so the uh, operating and uh, debt assessment is uh, going up $185,450 or 17.36%. Just the operating budget um, without the debt assessment, we're looking at about a 20.25% 20, 20 increase on the operating side of things. But it's we get the operating assessment and we get the debt assessment. Overall, and the driver, as uh, the superintendent indicated, is the fact that we have nine more students going. Uh, so our overall uh, bill that we're going to pay at town meeting is $185,450. 17.36%. That's what we're looking at. That's what's carried. If you look at the warrant, uh, that's what's being carried in the warrant. Does that make sense? There's a lot of numbers bouncing all around. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, Tony. Sure. Um, so, on a slide in the middle here, FY23 member assessments. It says that um, that was reported as a difference of 26.9%. Right. Operating or capital? I think that is before the E&D gets applied, if I'm not mistaken. Prior to that, the last thing, uh, um, the 64,620 in the E&D, when that gets applied, that 26% drops down to 20.25, if I'm not mistaken. 20.25, okay. So that's, that's why I wanted to clarify what they're showing here versus what you're going to see us pay. Mm -hmm. so, so this is accurate until that E&D gets applied. When the E&D gets applied, we're looking at a 20.25% increase on the operating uh, assessment. Which I like better than a 26% increase, but. Um. And I guess the only other thing I would say is that, uh, as we always try and do, be good community members. Uh, we're currently working in the new DPW building. Yes. Here in Loughborough. Uh, carpenters, electrical, electricians, or HVAC students, painting and design and technology, uh, helping to assume some of the costs of labor to get that building done. Obviously, they didn't do the steel framing and all that type of stuff, but. Uh, they are doing the interior build-out, um, so we continue to, you know, uh, do what we can to, to be a community partner uh, and utilize, actually, the town so we can showcase our kids' skills uh, and have it as an educational opportunity, which is a nice real-world scenario that the kids can learn in. Yeah, this is the water and sewer uh, operations building that's, uh, that's constructed. Um, uh, Scott Charmatier, DPW director, has just had nothing but praise to say for the work the kids they just do fantastic work as you know previously they've done uh the uh gazebo at uh, 135 they did the pavilion at 135 they rehabbed the um uh snack shack at memorial field which is really a more than a shack it's a full structure uh the work is is i tell you what i wish i could hire them uh, over some of the low bid contractors that we get because they we never have a complaint with the work these kids do and it's a win for everybody all around and we did the house and the yeah the uh the, the affordable uh, uh habitat for humanity uh house the old gale uh structure in uh in the downtown that was done in, in partnership with the northborough housing Authority, housing 
Corporation, Habitat for Humanity, uh, and Aspet. That was a great. Uh, that was a great project. Now, if I can get him to build a new town hall for me, I'll be all set. <coughs> yes. <sir. coughs> that was my question. Can the kids build us a new town hall? <laughs> See, Tim, I anticipated. We could probably renovate this one. No, no. no like we did in the, in the Walker Building in, in Marlboro for. If you have enough swing space, you know, you have to work around their schedules and, and uh, yes, yeah. I did. I did have a serious question. Besides that, that actually wasn't my question. Um, on page twenty six in the booklet, yes, um, you have uh, average expenditure per student. It's about twenty thousand five hundred. So if I take that twenty thousand five hundred times the sixty eight students that we have from Northborough. That comes out to about $1.4 million. So in our assessment is $1.3 million. So looking at it that way, we are actually picking up about $100,000 in value from what our assessment is. Is that a, is that a correct so, way to? Yeah, so what happens is um, for regional schools, there's an additional cost that the town would be required to pick up. And so that would be when she, when Maria spoke about busing, transportation. Originally, when the school was created, and you folks signed up to be a part of a regional group, uh, at the time you were promised 100% reimbursement for regional transportation, <laughs> which would mean the member communities would be paying zero. But because there's a little caveat that says, as allocated or as voted or as whatever it is in the legislature, it's never been at 100%. The highest it's ever been is about 80, I think 82 maybe, but it's been usually in the, anywhere but in the 60, 70%. So the difference is we have a transportation contract that's about 1.1, 1.3 million? What is it? I can't remember what's up, man. Um, which is at a 2.5% increase each year. We were lucky when we did that contract. We didn't allow any fuel escalation, so we're not eating any, you know, now that all the, all the prices for fuel has gone up. Um, but so if this if the state reimburses for only seven hundred thousand, and we'll just give a number because I don't have it off the top of my head, 1 .2. it's one one point two million. That other five hundred thousand ends up getting assessed to the member towns, because it's required in order for you to service your students. That's one of the things that's required, just like OPEB is, and just like any debt service that you have. So those are the things that are added on, uh, that potentially are beyond what's required for. Kind of what they say is net school spending, of what you should be, you know, spending on a student to educate them. Yeah. So you can see though, Asabit's always been in the lower third. If you kind of look at this chart on page 26, uh, we we provide that for you. The latest that the state has is an FY20 uh, per pupil expenditure comparison. Um, but you'll see that over the past number of years, we've always been in that bottom third. Yeah, I was using it more as a, as a check because you can use. Yeah, and I know that it's not driven by students, but by using the number of students times that average, you come up with a number that's. You came up with one point four, but the number that you're referring to this one is really the one point one million, the minimum local contribution. That's the part that comes from the state. Gotcha. So it, there's really even less. a greater difference. Yeah, okay. I know where you were going with it, but yeah, no, it's not even. It's more like from one point four to one point one. So and, they pick up a portion. And then if you if you, just if, just if I picked up on. Um, uh, John's comment: the additional 184,000. If you get nine more students at 20,000 apiece and some change, there's your 180,000 dollar difference from last year mm -hmm. to this year. Yeah, in rough numbers, yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. Rough. yeah. That's why I always say it's the enrollment. 
yeah. you know, their, budget, their budget's not going up 20%. It all makes sense. Yeah. All, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we don't have a lot of, um, our net school spending generally is anywhere between 1% to 3% above what we can actually ask for, what the state requires us to, to spend. Um, but in some of the other um, districts, I'm not sure about Northboro, I haven't looked, but it can be anywhere between 27 to 35% above net school spending of what they're spending on education for students. Ours is really bare minimum of what it is to run the district. <clears throat> yes, Tony. Well, is that because net school spending differs between vocational technical schools and It, uh, it could somewhat differ based on the district, yeah. Mm. yeah. But, you know, for us, we're always, everybody always says, well, why is it so expensive to send us a student to ASABET? You know, when you look at, you know, some of our technical programs, uh, you know, we have, uh, uh, we just replaced some welding machines that were through a grant through the Governor's Workforce Skills Cabinet. Uh, it was a $250,000 grant. We were able to purchase 40 welding machines. Well, just the multi-process, uh, what they call gas metal arc welding and gas tungsten arc welding machines, those themselves are about uh, $4,000 a piece. Just the machine, not any of the other equipment, not to hook it up, not the the TIG welding torch or the ground clamp or things of that nature. And I only know all those specifics because I used to be a welder. <laughs> so I'm giving you specifics about one of the fields, but we did just purchase that. Uh, I will say the grant funding we re received from the governor to date has been about $2.7 So we've been able to update all the equipment in most of our shops without passing that member assessment onto the town. And when we can get the kids to do all the hookup, like for the welding machines, we've had the electrical department do all of our work interior with their teachers, we've saved, saved some cost of that uh, as well. Oh, yeah. just, just had a question uh, on uh, <clears throat> your budget drivers. You mentioned there's an increasing number of ELL students and students with disabilities. I was just wondering, how does that compare to the, uh, the town schools, uh, these students with disabilities? So they wouldn't be classified the same as our... Uh, uh, it's just on the tip of my tongue now. Our special needs students. Yeah, it's the same. I know. <laughs> a big budget driver, if we have special needs students that have to be sent out of district to be cared for properly. Sure. Why would anyone go to a trade school if they had to be sent out? Yeah, so it all depends on the level of uh, needs required. So there are certain students that even um, potentially coming to ASABIT, if they've been in a sub-separate placement type program where they need one-to-one -one aid, uh, or uh, some of the requirements are just learning basic life skills um, that maybe need a whole separate classroom, which is a pullout. Um, that's something that potentially drives up the cost of what that's called an out-of-district placement, even for our in-district, even for our member community schools. So that's specialized care. Uh, there are on occasions uh, when we have students uh, Northboro has been very gracious with us for trans uh, what we call transition meetings. When a student moves from 8th grade to ninth grade, if they have an IEP or a 504, uh, we tend to get invited to some of those meetings so that way we can, if the student's supposed to be coming to us, we then have an idea of what kind of services are going to be required. But a lot of times when the student walks through our door, we weren't allowed in some of our communities um, we're not allowed to attend those transition meetings because there's a fear that, that the sending community might be on the hook for what services we're talking about we would provide. Uh, and I have to sometimes remind those 
my fellow educational professionals that if if the student walks in our door we are now the LEA responsible for that person if they don't walk through our door and they're with you well you can only provide the services that you offer so um, so it all changes so for, even for us it's very hard to budget for special education what we tend to um, we bear those costs we don't end up giving those back to the member assessment uh, towns because we don't know what they are at the time. We may budget 100000 in one year, could be 300000 for special ed. And one of the things for regional vocational, we're not allowed to access circuit breaker money for special education. Um, we can access potential uh, Medicaid costs if there are services that we, if we've deemed it, uh, something that was uh, uh, could be credited through Medicaid submissions. We might get some of that money back that way. But other than that, depending upon the service, if it's auditory, we have a, we have a student that actually requires some auditory assistance that was well beyond what we could provide. That student is actually now an out-of-district placement for ASABIT. So we even have to send sometimes students out when we can't provide the services for that student. Yeah, I, I can see if the schools can handle the, uh, the student students needs which I know asked a bit and that try to do as much as they can yep. but I was wondering if they know ahead of time that the student is going to have to be placed out somewhere is there something um, something better that they uh, by sending them to you and then having them shipped out or keeping them in their own local school and then having them still yeah, shipped out anyway I think it depends uh, a lot of times students will find success when they come to ask a bit because it's a different type of learning style situation. The type of educational delivery model that we provide is engaging, is hands-on, right? It's experiential. Uh, so sometimes not everybody's, you know, programmed to sit in a seat and have rote learning and have somebody lecture. So by having students become engaged, we, we also get a lot that, how do you have so many kids going to college, right, when they come through ASABIT? And I don't really think there's any kind of special thing that's happening in Asabit. Not that I, I get paid, right, to talk about my school. But even if I didn't, most vocational schools will tell you, as we re-engage students for learning, and they actually can find out that they're very competent people and smart, they actually start to enjoy learning where potentially prior, they were told, you're not going to be smart enough to move on to college. You better think about something else, right? Even me, when I chose back when I was going into high school, they said, why are you going to the Vogue school? You're way too smart. This was my guidance counselor. This is a personal experience I had. And I said, what are you talking about? Like, why don't I have the choice just to go where I want? Uh, and I had two brothers that were welders before me, and I decided to follow in their footsteps, regardless of my grades or whatever. But I really think that we engage students um, so much that they start to enjoy learning and actually know that they can learn and get the self-confidence so that they feel comfortable to be able to go into college and fin finally realize that it's a realization. So I just think, you know, it's a, it's a different style of education and learning that engages the kids. And once they find that they discover something that they're passionate about, you know, you know, as a hobby, if you have something that you love to do and you can spend hours on and you're like, where did those six hours go with you know, whether it's a student playing a game, uh, that's how they are in their technical field. If anytime any of you folks want to come in and uh, tour us a bit, I'd love to have you come. If you walk through the hallways, you won't see one student during class. There's nobody roaming around the building. They're all engaged either in academics or in their technical field. 
or even if at the Northborough DPW building, if you went out there and watched them work, you wouldn't know, um, you know, you wouldn't know that they were high school kids. Well, you might know because you'd be like, hmm, sometimes regular workers don't work like this. <laughs> but that's, that's the only reason I could tell you as to why. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we get a student that for a year and a half we're working with them. And if they don't, if, if they can't, uh, we can't provide them the services, we sometimes end up having to send them out of district placement um, if it's too much and something that we don't provide. <clears throat> Any other questions or comments from the board? Well, hearing none, seeing none, we thank you for your presentation. It's uh, very nice concise and very well done as you usual. Do you have anything to add? No. It's, it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. You are more than. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, folks. Thank you. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. I talked to Becker, so the one for the April 4th. Great. Be nice to wrap that up. Yes. Yes. Take care. The next item on our agenda is the uh, police FY 2023 budget, and that will be presented by our chief of police, Bill Liver. Mr. Chair, thank you. I like what John gives me, but I can't read it, so I have my own larger version. <laughs> That's what we need to do a, a, a large print budget for some of our. We all do. <laughs> well, I like to be brief. So, in, in essence, we're just a, a, a hair shy of a 1% budget cut, uh, reduction. So, any questions? No. Okay. Thank you. How are we done? <laughs> Thank you, Chief. <laughs> I heard you were retiring at the end of the year. Is What's that? Are you retiring? At the end of the year? That's classified. No. Oh, don't not, be chicken-hearted. I've known you since you were that high. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I'm reaching my maximum uh, age uh, before I have to retire. That's shocking. Oh, I know. So, uh, <laughs> I don't believe it either. Uh, that would be in 2024. You guys have term limits? You have to get out. We have by to retire at age 65. Fire have to be out at 65. Well, I wonder if we can do that for our government. We had to do this for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, I may have to retire at 65, but it's also been 44 years. So, <laughs> all right. Um, most of the re uh, reductions are in payroll. We um, have uh, a bunch of new patrol officers, and they're all starting at the lower end of the pay scale uh, in the uh, brackets. Um, we have. Uh, sergeants' uh, salaries went down uh, by 1.26%. That's because we had a sergeant's vacancy and we promoted a sergeant last year. At the end of the, uh, in about, it was August, September timeframe. So um, he's at the lower uh, step starting for the sergeant's range. Uh, patrolman's salaries, same thing. Uh, several new patrol officers, again, all at the lower end of the pay range. Uh, dis dispatcher's salaries, uh, slight, uh, same thing, uh, modest increase, and that's only because they have uh, a, a contractual, uh, well, uh, step increases for some of the dispatches that are there. Um, so the more the, the more senior dispatches, uh, they get their annual step increases. Uh, so uh, that, that accounts for that. Uh, the lieutenant salary has decreased. That's the uh, the 22 uh, budgeted amount was for the previous lieutenant who was at a higher at the higher end of the pay grade. 
Uh, so the, the, the uh, well, I would say my new lieutenant, but he's, he's been in, in the position since about August. Uh, he's at, again, uh, a different uh, starting, a lower rate at, uh, so that's a 3.63% uh, decrease in that salary. Uh, Christmas overtime went up uh, a little bit, about $765. That, that just accounts for what we've, uh, we've historically kind of gone over that. We, I can't really budget for that. It depends on how the schedule works and who's, who's working um, and what their rate of pay is because the schedule rotates. You know, you could go two or three years having Christmas off and then you can work two or three days. So if it's a senior dispatcher, it goes up. And we've, we've gone over that by, you know, that, that, that's an average of increase just to cover that. Um, Let's see, uh, dispatch longevity, uh, that went down considerably again because we had uh, two dispatchers leave and we replaced them with new dispatchers. Uh, so again, at the lower starting point. Uh, same thing, holiday pay, that's just a result of lower, lower uh, hourly rates due to the uh, newer employees. And uh, same thing, there's always a trickle down effect with, uh, uh, on all of the other associated uh, payroll ca uh, categories. Uh, the dispatcher's differential uh, went up about $1,600. It doesn't seem that would be the case because we have uh, a decrease in dispatch salaries, but we do have three uh, dispatches that have been there long enough that they're seeing uh, um, differential increases along with their pay increases for the shifts. Um, and so basically that's... Uh, Again, the payroll uh, is what uh, has uh, re resulted in the lower yes. uh, budget decrease. If before anybody gets too excited, if I can chime in, um, we have not settled any of the collective bargaining contracts. So these budgets, all the budgets that you have reviewed and will review, uh, uh, do not have wage increases for July 1 or contract settlements. So that's for union members in, and non-union members. That is all being budgeted centrally in the personnel board account pending settlement of those contracts. So that's why you're going to see, you know, most of these budgets are going to be either flat or, you know, around 1%. That's typically what you're seeing is increases in expenses, uh, but there's no wage increases in these budgets right now. The, uh, in, the, in the expense uh, lines, uh, we got notification of a rate increase uh, from the utilities. Uh, last year we had our two high efficiency boilers put in for our natural gas boilers and we got a notification of about a 14% increase in our natural gas fees. So that's just a direct result of uh, the notification that we received and the percentage that we were going up. Uh, radio maintenance, I've asked for an extra couple of thousand dollars. Our radio system uh, is getting older. Um, and I need to replace batteries for the portable radios. Uh, and the batteries are basically about $110 a piece. And I need 22 batteries uh, and some spares. So there's a, basically, uh, that accounts for the, the radio increases. Contractual services gone up uh, fairly significantly, 15%. Uh, it's just uh, the cost of doing business, and it's a reflection of what's going on in the country as far as everything is, everything is going up. Uh, the cost of vehicles has gone up, the cost of fuel has gone up, and all of our contractual services got up, like our um, generator maintenance contract with the company that we use that, it went up. Uh, uh, they've, they've, almost all of our contractual services have raised their uh, uh, rates this year. Uh, training is the big ticket item this year. It's a 100% increase, we went from $10,000 to $20,000. And 
that is basically driven by the new post commission and the police reform act 275 pages of legislation that basically dictates almost everything that we're going to do moving forward it went to effect last july uh, and the training requirements have increased uh, the uh, uh, number of times that we have to qualify we have to do de-escalation training uh, more mental health training and it's it's a significant cost one would think that the Commonwealth would through the police academies would, would pay for this they do for some of them but for a lot of the training that we have to do uh, it, it we have to go through private vendors and we, we have to pay for it um, for instance uh, one of the one of the trainings that we're uh, doing is I've made a commitment to train uh, everybody in the department uh, in a 40-hour crisis intervention uh, team training so that we can deal with folks with uh, emotional and mental health issues uh, when our clinician is not riding along with us and isn't in the, in the house. So uh, that, uh, in order to participate in that program, I had to commit to training 20% of the department in the, in the crisis intervention team. Uh, but I never have 20% of those people working all the time. Uh, so I, I feel it's important to train everybody. Uh, in the department, especially moving forward with the uh, police reforms. Uh, the idea is to uh, steer people away from the criminal justice system into <coughs> community-based services uh, instead of putting folks with mental health crisis and things like that in a, in a jail cell. So it has great benefits all the way around. Uh, so that basically is the, the gist of that increase uh, for the training. And let's see. <coughs> Uh, repairs and maintenance, uh, another significant increase from 15,000 to 24,000. Uh, the new facilities maintenance, uh, uh, facilities manager <laughs> um, has done an assessment of the building and uh, he did a look back, I believe it was maybe three or five years on our expenses, what we have paid uh, for increases. And we usually, uh, uh, for repairs and, and general maintenance, HVAC filters, uh, things like that, plumbing needs when faucets don't work. Um, one of our big expenses <coughs> is plumbing because our cell block <laughs> toilets are automatic. They're not automatic. We have their push button from either upstairs or downstairs, so people they, they can't flush their toilets themselves. So they, they don't work. We get inspected by the state. They have to work. Uh, the water temperature has to be 101, 101 to 110 degrees within two minutes. The cell block is the furthest distance from the boiler in the room, so we have to make sure that that works. Um, so all those sort of things like that. Um, the, the building does need some more uh, extensive capital type uh, improvements, uh, such as, uh, I mean, it's desperately in need of a, a new stain uh, painting job. Uh, and we've worked out a, a, a plan for that, but uh, it's uh, probably going to happen between now and next year. Um, let me see. Passive can't do it because the building's too high. There's a, there's a, they have a height restriction because we would use them if we did. The last time we had the uh, sheriff's prisoners uh, paint it, and we just paid for the, uh, it was the stain. $5,000. But, uh, but unfortunately, they've suspended that community program uh, due to COVID. So we're sort of hoping that yeah. things keep going the way they are, that that program would open up again. Um, we've had some difficult times getting uh, bids, and you've heard me talk about the impact of prevailing wage. You know, we've, if you contact a local painter, they'll tell you it's just a big, it's just a big house, right? It's a 10,000 square foot, square foot house. 
and uh, probably cost you about thirteen, fourteen thousand dollars to stay in. When you go out and you get prevailing wage rates for it, we're seeing numbers that are closer to forty thousand dollars to stay in it. That range from forty thousand to seventy thousand. You know, ask. the real the real sad thing about this is that um, you you'd like to use a local uh, you know business. The problem is most local businesses aren't set up to comply with the state's prevailing wage laws. You know, the paperwork that's involved. And we've heard them say, you know, I just don't want to work a job. And, uh, you know, if I pay my, my folks, you know, $20 an hour, and but if I do a prevailing wage job and it's $48 an hour, they don't want to work for $20 an hour anymore. So what you wind up happening is you actually box out your local small businesses. So... We've made that case with the legislature uh, many times um, that we'd like to see uh, any project under $100,000 or even $50,000 exempt from prevailing wages. We think it would be a boom for local small businesses that they'd be able to do business with us. But, um, but they haven't seen it that way, so we get what we get. A, a local painter did give us a price of $13,000, and that included replacing some clapboards that would have needed reasons and would rot in the trim boards. And, and and the painting, but like I said, when the facilities manager uh, did an RFQ, the lowest bid was forty thousand, the highest was seventy. So, thank seventy thousand dollars to paint a building. It's Not insane. Something we get asked about in on. It's too high. Well, they can do the interior of the building except our lobby. I, they have a height restriction; they can't go up on lifts and things over a certain height. At least they did when we had it painted the last time. I should actually check on that again, but I, I don't. It's, yeah, it's three stories off the back, yeah. so it's too high for the kids. Um, so that uh, is repairs and maintenance, and the other increase is just a modest increase of $2,000 in my field supplies. Field supplies are things that we need, uh, flares and cars. Um, um, what's the big, uh, ammunition. We have to qualify now three times a year. We have to do scenario-based training. Ammunition has skyrocketed in price because, um, you know, depending on what party wins the election, <laughs> ammunition sales go off and I can't get them. If you can't even <laughs> find train. it. Yeah. What's that? If you can't even find the ammunition. Yeah, we had a problem with that last year. So, um, and the amount, of, the amount of ammunition that we have to expend now for training has, has increased due to all of the increased training requirements. And it's also one of those, uh, it's, a, it's a low frequency, high risk situation when a police officer has to draw a weapon and you really want them to be on target and not miss um, and and uh, you know hit an innocent bystander uh, God forbid but uh, it, it's a it's a critical skill and we just have to do it um, and that basically sums up what we had uh, uh, through through the chair if I may build you just want to speak about your capital project that will that's on the town meeting warrant for the cruiser replacements oh yes um, while you're here so you know sure. this is a our normal schedule is to replace cruises uh, three one year to the next. In 2020, that was a two-year cruiser replacement, but due to COVID and lost revenues and the uncertainties, uh, the town was very conservative, and we cut one of those cruises out. Our, our, uh, our vehicle maintenance schedule is, is very specific. Um, we buy the cars with extended warranties, so we keep them for you know, some of the warranties, depending on the make of the vehicle, are 100000 some are 125000 we keep them for four years in the patrol fleet because about that point in time, they're at the end of the extended warranty period, or at least at 100,000 miles. And with, with cruises, they're, they're basically running 16 hours a day. 
we try to keep at least an eight hour period where they're not on the road uh, because the idle time alone, just sitting on the side of the road, um, often an accident scene, uh, it adds about 25% more uh, in mileage uh, for wear and tear. Uh, that's the standard fleet maintenance uh, estimate for a vehicle that has to idle, especially a police vehicle used at 16 hours a day. So it may say, you know, 100,000 miles on it, but engine wear actually uh, similar, similar to uh, 125,000. Um, they're hard use cars. They get driven hard. They have multiple drivers in them. Um, so you can imagine if three people are assigned to one car and it's, it's driven pretty much 16 hours a day. They, they take a beating. Um, and so in 2020, with that one vehicle not added, that has had a trickle-down effect where most of the cars that I have three vehicles now that are over 140,000 miles. Uh, because those drivers assigned to that, that would have been assigned to that car have been assigned to other vehicles. So some of them get run around the clock, some of them get, uh, so my, my fleet supervisor does a, a nice job of trying to balance them out, but we always try to add the mileage to the oldest cars uh, because they're the ones that are scheduled to be replaced next. So um, this year is a, a two car year as well, a fiscal 23. but. The idea is to uh, use the uh, opera funds. Or, well, it's, uh, it'll be free cash, so we'll yeah. be doing the three vehicles instead of what would normally be a two-vehicle year just to get caught up again. As we said, when we cut the vehicle, that it's fine. It, the need doesn't go away. We just need to make it up when we when we recover from the pandemic. So, yeah. The, uh, and the offshoot to keeping the cars longer than that is they drastically reduce in net trade and value. Uh, I don't know why anybody in the world Kids like to do it. Some people like to get old Crown Vicks, and you would, I would never get me to buy an old police cruiser because I drove one for a lot of years, <laughs> and I know how I drove, and um, I, I just wouldn't buy one. Um, you know, guys chasing after people go through yards over rock walls. It's, uh, they're not pretty. We, we used to sell them to taxi cab companies, and they'd refurbish them, and it was good they money. They would pay, they would top, pay dollar. top dollar for them, but that market's sort of gone away. I have, a, I have a 2015 Ford Explorer that we're trading. Actually, I've been waiting for about a year to trade it because I can't trade it until like, the new one comes in, and they've been back-ordered for almost a year. Uh, actually, last year I ordered what would have been our first uh, hybrid Ford Explorer. And due to chip shortages and other parts uh, shortages due to supply chain issues, Ford canceled that order last October. And they reordered it back in last November, and it still has not appeared. Uh, it was also going to, we were going to get about a $5,000 um, green, green Communities grant. Uh, grant that would have been used to offset the price between a gas engine and the hybrid. And what was left over would have been about $3,800 that we could have used to upfit, add to the cost of upfitting the cruiser. Um, and it, just, it has just gotten to the point where I just, I, I, I told the vendor cancel it. They had... Uh, a gas engine, a Ford Explorer there, because uh, I just need the car at this point in time. So for fiscal 23, uh, we'll be ordering, uh, from this point forward, I'm ordering all hybrid Ford Explorers. Um, we will have one pickup truck moving forward. Uh, you might have noticed that we did have, we have some Tahoes. Uh, those were purchased um, over the last couple of years from 2021 uh, because they were thousands of dollars less expensive than a Ford Explorer, go figure. Uh, the, the, the Tahoe that I drive cost us $39,000. The Ford Explorer that I bought for patrol was 47. So 
uh, it was it was just a matter of finance. Uh, so Chevy has caught wind, you know, they've, they've caught up with that. And they're no longer selling those for that kind of money. They're selling them up for about 52. So we're done with the Tahoe business. Okay, I kind of thought there was a little trade-off there between a little less gas mileage and saving some money on the price of the cars. But um, so the, the Tahoes, they'll go the way of the dinosaur when they're when they've uh, used up their uh, useful life. Uh, we have two in patrol and we have two administrative ones. But it was just the, the savings and the money alone. So uh, they'll all, as time goes on, be replaced with hybrids. Uh, they just haven't come up with a uh, reliable electric vehicle that can run for 16 hours on a patrol ship because, I, you know, it, it, when that happens, then, you know, the next chief will worry about it because I won't be here. So, <laughs> But we are making the commitment to go to hybrid. That's, uh, are these we'll, hybrids the type that will uh, get their electricity from the engine, or do you still have to plug them in? Um, when you're idling on the side of the road, the engine shuts off. And everything is on. The, the thing that... People need to, I, I try to remind people of, we have a tremendous electricity, uh, uh, electrical load in the cruises. There's four radios. There's a 110 volt printer that's in the armrest that is connected to the computer, so all our citations now are automatic. Um, we, they just enter the data on the computer screen and the citation prints out, so you get like an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. It's a roll, but um, that's, uh, and it's heat sensitive paper, so um, it, it takes a lot of uh, mm -hmm. uh, current and or amps I guess um, and then uh, the computer itself uh, is run off a 110 volt inverter and uh, when you're trying to make 110 volts out of a 12 volt system it drains the battery very quickly if the engine's not running so what'll happen with a hybrid is it'll shut off and there's a, a sensor in there when the voltage gets down to a certain level the engine will just kick on again and, and bring the bring the, you know charge it up a little bit more and then it'll shut off uh, but it does like when you're coasting and rolling it, it, the engine will shut off and you'll roll i mean it's uh this i don't know how it works my son drives one in hawkington and he said he likes it so no, i was just uh, saying because i've seen some hybrids that still require them to be plugged in overnight no these don't okay no yeah when they're when they're driving i think that that charges the battery my, my concern was it's uh, all these people buying the electric cars and that an emp blast anything a hacker going on our electric grid you're out, you're down. Cars are down, anything. I just want to know what they're going to do with all those lithium batteries when they're dead. I asked that one about the first, I was looking at the Prius. Yeah. They said they're good for the life of the car. I said, well, what's the life? 10 years. I said, well, I keep my cars for 15 or 20, so how much does it? Well, it's $10,000 to replace the battery pack. I said, when the car's 10 years old, you're not going to place, replace a battery pack. You're just going to get rid of it. Now you've got all that going into landfills. And I, I don't think they can go to landfills. <laughs> I know they can't. Matter. Matter has fact, to get what, what we've been told is that a lot of these uh, car batteries go to, they get refurbished and they get sold to solar farms or for solar installations and they'll use that as the battery for like some a home solar installation mm -hmm. instead of buying the, the, the batteries <laughs> uh, new because apparently they have a, a higher uh, storage capacity and a longer uh, storage uh, rate time, so I don't know. Not my thing. <laughs> uh, any yeah. questions or comments for the chief? No, seeing none, thank you for your report. Thank you very much. Thank you, chief. Thank you, chief. <laughs> yeah. Next on our agenda will be the uh, fire, de uh, fire department budget for FY23, and it'll be uh, presented by our fire chief, David Prentice. Can somebody tell me how to get first on the agenda? 
<laughs> I'm just curious. We saved the best I for last. Always last. We saved the best for last. You didn't bring the coffee and donuts last week. Gosh, it hurts. Well, thank you, Mr. Chairman. He's a native. You're not a yeah, native. I'm not a native. I know. I've been it's, here it's six ba- years already. It's based now. on seniority. I'm afraid oh, you're still a noob. Oh, <laughs> still scary. I've been here six years already. Wow. So, uh, very busy year for us last year. Uh, COVID uh, really beat our guys up pretty bad, um, both mentally and physically. They were just, uh, it, it, was, it was a tough year between having a decon. Every time the truck rolls out, it comes back, you have to decon it. Costs went through the roof. Uh, with everything. So, but, tell, but tell them how many of you guys had COVID. So we went two years with zero. Oh, zero guys with COVID. Over Talk about years. caution and protocol. We were the last department to actually have a positive. Yep. And that didn't come across until uh, Omnicron came out. Mm-hmm. And then I had a whole slew of them in one, like, <laughs> one month period. Now it's gone. But so. it, it was, yeah, we went two years because the, the guys were outstanding. I mean, you treat... They're, they're within inches of, of treating people with COVID. But because of the PPE they were wearing, because of the precautions they took uh, with the, uh, the vehicles, my department's 100% vaxxed and boosted. Um, so that helps as well, right? So uh, very proud of that. The, the guys did an outstanding job. So this year, our, our budget is up a whopping 1.04%. And again, as, as the town administrator said, that doesn't include, we're, we're in negotiations just like everybody else's. So uh, we understand that. Uh, similar to, uh, to Chief Liver, we've had some turnover. I had a, a deputy chief left and went to Devon's. Uh, not deputy chief, a captain. He became a deputy chief in Devon's, uh, Devon. And therefore, everyone moves up. You have lower pay. That all reflects. So our, our, uh, our payroll line or our, our is, is actually down about 4%. Uh, that reflects new people coming in, lower pay, lower longevity, all that stuff. Uh, as far as increases, there, were, there are several increases, one of which, it's funny how it stays in departments or it stays the same as our contractual services have gone up uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, we did have uh, great increases in some things. We have also, uh, with, uh, with our new uh, uh, Sean's job, Facilities manager. manager. But you both chiefs had trouble with that. I'm a little concerned. Sean Thompson, I can tell you his name. I just don't know. (laughs) He came, he did the same thing with us. And he recommended uh, that we uh, enter into several uh, contracts for maintenance items, such as uh, our overhead doors, uh, our generators. Well, we've already been in for some of our generators, but some other ones that, again, we didn't have before. So that's going to drive the cost up a little bit as well. Uh, our overhead doors are a nightmare because they obviously they get abused, they get used a lot, and when they don't open, it's a it's a serious problem for guys trying to get them open at two o'clock in the morning. So he recommended he looked back and said, "Well, you're paying this much per year to get them fixed. Why don't you pay this much to have someone come in every three months and take care of them?" I said, "Well, that kind of makes sense. Why don't we do that?" So he's he's been awesome. So we we, we did have 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 that increase. Uh, there's a little increase in vehicle maintenance strictly because costs are going up to fix vehicles. That's the parts are, are, are outrageous. Uh, listening to Chief Liver speak, maybe uh, think of you know they do now make fully electric fire trucks. You know what they cost? <laughs> about about one point five. About one point five million is about. There's several of them out there, but they're in places like big cities. Right? Call Musk; he'll he'll hook you up. Right. right. <laughs> and, and I'm like, I don't know if I want to put a full electric fire truck out fighting a fire and have all the. What's the battery gauge drop as we're sitting <laughs> as we're sitting there for twelve hours? Because sometimes we I've been I've been on scenes for twelve, 
24 hours sometimes. It's crazy. So, but they're, they're out there if you want to spend $1.5 million on them. It's kind of crazy. Uh, we did have a slight increase in building maintenance. Our building's getting older. As you know, there's, there is a fire station project uh, in, in the works. But until that happens, we still have to maintain what we have. Uh, we've had some septic issues. We've had some... Uh, so it's not that the building's falling apart. It's that all the stuff that makes the building run is falling apart. <laughs> just because it's old. You know, that, 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 that kind of happens. So we just had to have some increases uh, to cover that. Uh, one of the other things is when, when COVID first hit, uh, as all departments did, we looked and saw, you know, saw where, where can we reduce things, what can we do? And one of the things we reduced was our capital outlay line. Now, we have a capital outlay line of, of $30,000. That's what it was when, when I came here. And that is used to replace things such as turnout gear or uh, you know, uh, fans or portable pumps, things that don't fall under the capital items, that, that wouldn't fall in, under our, our capital projects because either aren't going to last enough or aren't worthy and uh, aren't expensive enough but they do they are capital items i just bought four four new sets of turnout gear at four thousand dollars a set that's outrageous they last 10 years okay so i increased it last year by five we cut it by ten thousand at the beginning of of covid yep last year john recommended we increased it by five thousand this year i'm just bringing it back up to where we were at the thirty thousand and again that covers those costs uh, we need to replace the turnout gear on a rotating basis. When I first came here, they had bought gear all at the same time. Well, the problem with that is it all expires at the same time, and that's a big expense. So I've been trying to get a program in place where we're, we're replacing them, taking the stuff that's still good, running it a second, because every firefighter has two sets of turnout gear uh, to avoid contamination. You go to a fire, you want to bring that back and wash it right away. Cancer is just is eating firefighters up. It's really bad. So we, we're very fortunate in this town that every town has two sets of gear, but all my guys have two sets of gear. So it allows us to do that rotation and, and to purchase some new stuff. We're also changing colors. We're going from a tan, which you'll see in now, to a black. And to be honest with you, that was the guy's choice. I wore black for years. I thought black was hotter. Out in the sun, summer, they love it. I said, oh, okay, it, no cost is no different. Cost is exactly the same. It's sort of, okay, you want to go black? We'll go with black. It, it, it doesn't cost us anything. So we're in the middle of that. We've bought 12 sets now. And uh, we have uh, a total of 20 sets to buy. So I'll be buying some more this year out of this budget as it, as it comes up. If I can just, if I can just oh, chime please. in. So, you know, this is something that we've worked with over the years with um, the Financial Planning Committee. You know, you have large capital projects that you're going to fund with debt potentially or, or free cash and then uh, and then you have these smaller uh, projects what would uh, what, smaller equipment replacements and what we were seeing happening is you know the former chief would come in and ask for you know ninety thousand dollars to buy hose or to buy all the new turnout gear at one time and so what we did is we worked with every department and we even worked with the school department to get uh, capital outlay lines in there so that they then on a smaller scale budget out if you've got 30,000 a year you know snow blower you know fans equipment turnout gear plan it out I don't need to be involved the, the department heads can handle it it doesn't show up in the capital plan and you don't have these you know these suddenly these bundling of small things that really aren't appropriate to be in the capital budget so it's worked well and again short term how do we get through COVID right we postpone a lot of capital we cut things in the budget now we're restoring. That's what you have to do. So cut 10,000, put 5,000 last year, 5,000 this year. Reasonable. He's back to where he was, and we're not behind. 
So uh, it's a it, good plan. You know, we, we, we had a maybe push a couple replacements out a couple of years. Not a big deal. Nothing we can't get by. Right. And we'll just... It, it's working out. The, the guys love the new gear. And but if you're making regular investment in your equipment, you can do that. You've yeah. heard me say that. So oh, we do inspections, we do cleanings, we do all kinds of stuff. Right. One of the big things coming forward, you guys have heard of PFAS, right? So PFAS is a big thing out there. Well, it turns out PFAS, all, almost all firefighting gear is treated with PFAS, exterior and interior. So they have found that that could be one of the big causes of firefighter cancer. So the new turnout gear we bought, PFAS clear. Doesn't, there's none in it, which is great. So that makes the guys happy, makes me happy. Again, $4,000, but it doesn't matter where we go. It's going to be four dollars to $5,000. Pretty crazy. So those are really the big changes that, that, that we have. Uh, I do want to mention uh, this year, our capital plan this year is to replace an ambulance. So ambulances, uh, we'd like to keep them for about 10 years. And we run three, and that we run three of them. So they run about three and a half years, three years or so, four years, first due, then they run second due, and then they go to the mechanical backup. The reason we want to run a mechanical backup is because we do so many multiple calls at a time that if we didn't have that one when an ambulance went out, we'd have one ambulance for town. And it just doesn't make sense because it's not unusual for us to have two ambulances and an engine on the road doing calls. If I have an ambulance out of service, that means I can't run it. That means I can't bill for it. So if I can't bill for it, it doesn't go into our revolving account to help offset our costs, and it goes to another, another agency. So that's $400,000. Uh, I've reduced the size of the ambulances. So you guys have seen the old green and, and white ones. They're, they're big, bulky. They're like trucks, right? Well, the last one we bought, Medic One, is like a Ford F550 size. It's, it's, it's a Dodge, but it, it's that same size. A lot cheaper to run, a lot cheaper to maintain, and a lot better ride for the patients and for the uh, techs. When everyone started going with the trucks, they thought, well, these are trucks, they'll last longer. They'll last 15, 20 years. Problem is when they broke, it cost a whole heck of a lot more to fix, and it really didn't last all that longer because we're still putting <laughs> tons of miles on these trucks. Every time we pick up a person, we take them from Northboro to UMass Memorial, UMass University. We go to Marlboro quite a bit. Sometimes we go to St. V's, we go to Framingham. That puts a lot of miles on trucks, right? So, so, so it, it adds up pretty quick. And again, those are the busiest trucks in our fleet. So that's where that sits. Uh, we were able to take one item off our capital this year. So one of the things, just like the police department, and I think most departments in town do this, they're always looking for alternative uh, ways to fund things, looking for grants. So there's the, the, the Assistance of Firefighters grant has been out for many, many years. And it's a FEMA-run uh, grant. It's the one I used a couple years ago to replace all of our air packs. Okay, so this year we were able to replace, replace all of our portable radios and ensure that each of our on-duty people have their own portable radio. Program to them to identify them. So if they're in a building they can't speak, they can push a button, we know who it is, and by assignment we should know where they are. So uh, that was a huge, huge win for us. We had $330,000 in for uh, two years down the road, we were able to purchase the radios and the programming and do the training this year for about $225,000. And we were able to take that right off of our capital plan. So very excited about that. Um, and that takes a lot of hard work. And it's never the first year, normally not the second year. Normally the third year we apply for it, we, we, we get lucky. So uh, we were very happy to get that. Um, John, do you want me to speak to the engine or do you want to? Uh... Uh, sure. 
Okay. So uh, with the ARPA funds, one of the things that the town manager had recommended, and I fully supported it, was moving one of our one of our engine replacements up to this year and paying for it with ARPA funds. Now, a new fire engine is about eight hundred thousand dollars. When I started in a fire service, we were paying just a tad less than that. Okay, uh, but now they're eight hundred thousand dollars. They last us about twenty years. Okay, so engine one is is, is up for replacement in twenty twenty four. 2024. Right, 2024. Engine one, every year we do a full pump cert certification or bring in an outside party, a full pump certification and a full pump maintenance. My pump maintenance, this guy said, the truck passed this year, but the pump is at its max. You can't do any more maintenance to it. You can't do any tweaks to it, I should say. You can't tighten packings. You can't, it needs a rebuild. Cool. How much is a rebuild? Rebuild is anywhere between twenty-five thousand and a hundred thousand, depending on what needs to be done. So that that's a nice neighborhood. Can you can you go a bit more specific? He says twenty-five to forty thousand dollars. But once we drop a pump, it's no different than drop than working on an old house, right? Once you open a wall in an old house, what happens? The price escalates rapidly because nothing's square. Things you find rotted. Same thing. Same thing with with a fire pump. Um, when John had talked to me about moving this forward, I thought it was a great opportunity to actually. Because the rescue, our truck was due a year before. So what we did is we switched them because the rescue is still in significantly better shape. We were going to replace engine one, $800,000, no cost to the taxpayer. I did some uh, calling around to neighboring departments. <clears throat> and I just mentioned this to John the other day. In June, Westboro bought a new engine for 600 and I think it was $650,000. They ordered the same exact engine like last month same engineering so no engineering cost nothing for seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars somewhere around there prices are escalating outrageously so i thought this is perfect this is a perfect time so that was one of the things with arp i think that's up for discussion on monday night at the board meeting uh yeah so it was um uh, included in the plan that, that i shared with you uh the board has uh not uh, voted on that um Part of the rationale for moving it up was, uh, well, it's really twofold. One is that we have an engine that needs to be replaced. It's having some mechanical issues. Um, and so it makes sense to, to, to replace it, obviously. You're going to have to do that one way or another a year from now if you don't do it now. Uh, but the other reason was uh, using the ARPA funds, uh, we know calendar year, the chief mentioned the fire station building project. We're going to be closing on the land in July. Uh, so we're moving forward with the design this year. We'll be coming down to town meeting next year with a, you know, a very large building project. Uh, in the capital plan, we have $800,000 for the fire engine, uh, $900,000 for the flat portion of the roof at the Proctor School, and $400,000 for a tight tank uh, for DEP compliance down at the highway garage. So between those three items, it's another $2.1 million. We're not going to have free cash to pay as you go for an engine. So your choice is you can use ARPA funds or you're going to have to finance it. So you're going to be going to town meeting looking for a new station and $2.1 million in additional um, uh, debt for these three projects. And that's why using the first tranche of the ARPA funding, you know, my proposal was to include those in there. It clears out the backlog of capital. We postponed a bunch of capital. It clears things out. You'll be going to town meeting with 
you know, to building project. And um, the bottom line is just you're going to have to pay for it one way or another. So if you don't use ARPA funding, you're going to have to finance it. And uh, $2.1 million, if you finance it over 10 years, you know, you're probably looking about between 40 and $50 on the average tax bill for the next 10 years and another $400,000 in financing costs. So that's why the proposal uh, would be able to, you know, to move these two, particularly the Proctor School and the engine projects, move them forward and basically clear them out. you got a six-year capital plan, and we have a lot of you know, police cruisers and DPW trucks and routine replacements. And then you have these kind of medium-sized projects that come in, and then you have large building projects. Well, we've got a couple of these medium-sized ones coming. They're on deck right now. And they're coming at, you know, what will be a difficult time. And it's all going to stack up on the taxpayers at the end of the day. So in my, in my view, uh, one-time ARPA funds make a perfect sense to use for this. We're not using all of the ARPA funds at all. There's still, you know, two and a quarter million dollars uh, if the whole plan was implemented uh, that would still be left to do, you know, whatever else you wanted to do. Um, but the board has decided to, uh, to, to pause. I think they're interested in getting some additional public uh, input. Uh, one of the things that we are going to talk, so on Monday, I don't think the, I'm, well, I don't believe the board is going to take up the vote, but uh, what I'm going to probably propose, um, it's funny because I'm telling you before the board, but their meeting is on Monday, is uh, more than likely what I'd like to do because there's a lot of misinformation that's flying around social media right now. Uh, some folks have tried to you know, get out ahead of this, and you know they're interested in it, but it hasn't been the, the best information. What I'd like to do is similar like we've done with every large building project, like Lincoln Street School or the financial trend monitoring, is to bring all the boards and committees together at the library like I typically do. That way everybody can hear the same information, hear the same questions, and, and gives appropriations and financial planning and the school committee a chance to provide some input and then in that context you can take public comment and what i've said you know all along is if if i said to you you know here's ten thousand dollars how would you spend it and we can all think of ways to spend ten thousand dollars right but if you don't know that your house needs to be painted or you need a roof or if you don't know what your other priorities are then you don't really know how best to spend that ten thousand part of your job and my job the chief's job, the financial planning committee's job is to provide the context for these financial discussions and provide recommendations. Um, the board ultimately, under the ARPA funds, the way they were um, approved, is they're treated like a grant, and so they don't have to go through town meeting. So it is a vote of the board of selectmen. Uh, but it's still a financial matter, and it still has uh, budgetary implications. So my job is to make sure that when the town policy boards and committees are making a decision that you have all of the information. And there is a time and a place absolutely for public input, um, but there has to be some context for that public input. And so that's how I would like to proceed, is to, to have that context, allow the school department to talk about what they're doing, the various boards and uh, uh, departments about what they're doing, and then public comment can be brought into the discussion with that context. So that's kind of what we're thinking. Yeah, my, my concern is to pay $40,000 to repair a pump that we're going to get rid of in two years anyway. But 
if we don't fund it, the problem is now trucks are taking two years. So I have to wait two years to vote on it, then it's actually four years out. I can't wait four years. I can wait two years and I can get by. Four years I'm just not comfortable with. So that's it for my presentation. I, if you have any questions, I'd love to uh, answer any. Just if I may uh, draw your attention to page 3-11 in the handout. The fire department is a little unique from other departments uh, in many ways, but hey, hey, uh, hey, hey. particularly in the way that their operations are financed. So as the chief uh, indicated, the general fund portion of the budget is going up $22,901 or approximately 1%. Yep. So the fire department has a, a couple ways that it is funded. Out of the general fund, it's 2216978 That includes under Article 4 of the, uh, of the uh, town meeting warrant, there's a direct transfer. So uh, roughly $354,000 out of the EMS revolving fund, these are the fees paid for, for, for from people who are using the ambulance, is brought into Article 4 to subsidize the fire department budget. In addition to that, uh, there's another 580,000 of direct charges to the EMS account for things like overtime and equipment replacement and medicine replacement on the ambulances that move up and down with the use of that of that service. So, so in total, uh, the fire EMS budget is about 2.8 million dollars uh, when it's all taken into place. But when you look at that. There's $354,000 and $580,000 of money coming from ambulance fees to support this uh, service. And it's important for people to understand that, that, uh, that that's the totality of what we're spending uh, in the fire service. And that's where the ambulances are purchased out of that account as well. Yes. So they, so they don't come from pre-cash and they don't come from any other funds. They're purchased out of that account. Now, a couple of years ago, the Board of Selectmen voted to uh, uh, rework our, our, our fees and bring them up. They haven't been voted since, uh, since 2009. That's helped a lot. It's, it's, uh, it has uh, resulted in additional income, which helps us then offset the cost of, of business because it just keeps going up. It's crazy. Yeah, so there's $400,000 on the town meeting warrant for a new ambulance and that will be funded through the EMS revolving fund. All right. So no additional tax impact. Yes, uh, Kim, uh, Tim. Uh, I just wanted to, to say I think it's incredibly important um, if we do have a, a joint meeting um, for the public to understand that a new engine is going to take two years and that we are dealing with an engine that's already 20 years old that already needs significant repairs, and it's going to be at minimum two years before we get a new engine in. If we wait until we actually planned, to your point, it's going to be four years, and now we're dealing with an engine that's on that needs significant repair now that we're going to need to stretch for another four years, and what impact does that have on your department to deliver the services, you know, God forbid, if they're needed with that engine in town. So I just think that's a really <clears throat> significant point to make for, for the public to understand that even though we're going to spend the $800,000 now, it's because we need to do it now in order to get the truck in before <laughs> the one we have really falls apart yeah, and it's and getting worse it, it was when i first started buying fire trucks it was nine months and now it's up to two years and 
Again, the chip shortage and materials, the prices are just just skyrocketing. It's crazy. Yeah, well, I just, again, it's a, a, as, a point. as we're talking and, and making the point with the public, I just think that's a very important point for the public to, to, to understand. Thanks, Tim. Yeah. Uh, the only question I'd have is under uh, emergency preparedness. Mm -hmm. That's me. There's $5,000 in salaries and $1,000 for a shelter coordinator stipend, but yeah. yet over five years there's been no new equipment, no equipment maintenance, and no telephone fees. What? So what is, what is it that we're paying a salary? So, so emergency management is me. Um, I'm, I'm the emergency management director. Uh, I'll let John speak. To the salaries, I don't, I don't, I don't want to talk about, speak to those, but the cost is all covered by the fire department, right? So if so, the phone number is our phone number, the uh, the uh, office supplies are our office supplies, so there's no additional cost there. But you still need to account for the fact that we had that those are items that we have to do. Uh, so our LEPC meetings that we have to advertise for our. Uh, our, our community, our, our, our master plan that we have to work on all the time. Those are all things we have to cover for. The shelter director is actually assigned to the health agent. Uh, that's, that's one of her positions. And then I'm the emergency management director. So the only funds I normally expend out of that is when we have a crisis or we have something that I need to actually feed responders or, uh, you know, those monies or there's training that I need to do specifically rated, related to emergency management. It would come out of those funds. But that, it just looked Kind of yeah. funny that there's, there's, there's nothing there, but you're paying someone to, when there's no equipment or anything to, to see to. Yeah, so, so if it's I, all, all included. If in, I may, years ago, so, so we used to have a, a $5,000 stipend for a very, very part-time emergency management coordinator. It wasn't the best model uh, to have somebody that part-time. It's usually a retired you know, fire, uh, fire, uh, fire, or a police officer that would serve in that role. The reality is the demands of of emergency preparedness uh, just are are way outstripping. You know, uh, somebody working uh, for a small stipend. And it, as originally conceived of is that we should have a deputy fire chief, and it's not for a lack of asking. I can assure you of that. Uh, and we did have a study that was done in 2015, 2016 that recommended a deputy fire chief. And part of it was that the emergency management services would be dedicated to that deputy chief position. It could be the chief or it could be the deputy chief. In the absence of, uh, in the absence of uh, ever being able to, for financial reasons, bring that position on board, and the, using the model of, of you know, a very part-time sort of glorified volunteer is that we were going to uh, use that stipend to pay a full-time salaried employee and since the only non-union full-time salaried employee in the department is the chief and he's doing all of the work and I have to say he has done a phenomenal job for us so that stipend he he receives that stipend is how it works COVID so. doubled my workload just like it did every other department but um, you know, again, at, at at some point soon, I hope uh, you know we'll be in a position to you know add in uh, a couple of positions. We we do need a couple of positions in this organization, um, and uh, one of the things I would like to see, not to get too far aside, is uh, you know I'd like to see a an updated staffing study, particularly for the non-public safety. Um, we know where the need is there; it's been identified. Uh, but for the non-public safety, you know. 
Northboro is one of these communities where we're, we're big enough that we sort of have one of everything, uh, but towns get a little bit bigger than us. You know, you look at like Westboro. So we're 15,000, Westboro is just shy of, you know, 20. They have 68 more full-time employees than we have wow. here, 68. Yeah. And so we, we have, you know, we don't have the second position. You know, I have a, you know, you have a, a health agent, you don't have a, you know, assistant. an assistant health agent. You, you, know, you have a, you know, you've got a building inspector. You know, you just go down the line and, uh, you know, you have a chief, you don't have a deputy chief. It, it, it's it's one of those tough things where the pressure is really building, and frankly, as the more as more demands are placed on the community and uh, on the departments, and we want to add more committees and you know do more things, that's all great. But we can't just keep adding additional responsibilities on the existing staff. So we do have to look at that at some point. But the deputy chief was something that was acknowledged and need for again back in 2016. Any other comments or questions from the committee? Bob, I thought you had a question. You're all set. Uh, it was just basically a retention, and, and John kind of covered it. I was just kind of curious about retention and how has that been affecting you? Because at the top you said you lost a person. So I think that's an awesome question because, and I'm just going to have to give you a little history here. When I started in the fire service, you started there, you stayed there. I was in Merrimack for 24 years. I only left Merrimack to take a chief's job. And that's typical for when I came up in the fire service. You started, you were dedicated, that's where you stayed. As ALS, as advanced life support systems uh, got absorbed into the fire service, started doing more than that, paramedics became more and more valu valuable. And as a different generation came on board, uh, they contract shop. They look for the BBD. There's always a bigger, better deal somewhere. And it's not unusual to have somebody on for two or three years, they come in, they get trained, they go, ooh, they pay them $5 more an hour, I'm going to go over there, and they can walk in the door. Because people are looking for medics, and they're just, they're very, very hard to find now. So we have some turnover, most of it is, 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 is as people, uh, Jamie, he left to become, he was our captain, he left to become a deputy chief. That's a normal transition that you would expect as people move up the ladder. Uh, we've had a couple guys leave, I have one guy that's looking potentially going to Boston. You know, how can you hold it against somebody if he can get a job at Boston Fire? You know, I, I understand that. And so so th that's the thing. But it's, we never, never, never dealt with that as I was coming up through the fire service. Now, guys will contract shop, and it's not just, it's not us, it's across the board. You know, I'll go there for five years, and then I'll go there for five years, and I'll go there for five years. And there's really just a big part of it is across the board, there's just fewer people going into... I mean, let's face it, if, you know, who wants to be a police officer or a firefighter paramedic right now between the social unrest and the, the, the pandemic? And, you know, it, it's, it's not as attractive as it, as it, once, as it once was. It used to be when you applied for, for a firefighter's job, there was, you know, you had five positions, you had 300 people going. Yeah, I remember. Easily. Yep. Easily. Now I have two positions. I have to beg to get 10 people to apply for and those 10 people, half of them aren't paramedics, but they want to be paramedics, but they just can't afford to go to school. You know, so, the, 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 you know, there's programs that everyone's putting, we've, people um, are putting signing bonuses in place just to get people on board. We've actually had to, we actually opened the contract up at the chief's um, uh, suggestion, working with the union to allow uh, the chief to hire folks that aren't paramedics. 
and to train them under an agreement that they have to stay a certain number of years or pay us back because we can't find qualified people. So we've had to get creative and it just means, you know, just more of an investment, longer to get people up to speed and, you know, that's just the nature of it. Follow-up is that if you're going to train all these people, you want to keep them there for a few years. So you do have contracts that you keep them. If if you are not a trained fire uh, paramedic, if you come on, uh, it's prorated so that you you know you have to stay. Is it three years? Five years. Five years. So so it drops every every year. For, so every year you stay, your payback your payment back drops. We don't have that in place for the fire academy. So we could actually send someone to the fire academy for ten weeks. And they, they could graduate on. and they could leave. Yeah. What I'm afraid. Yeah, can happen. Okay, thank you. Yes, Tim. Uh, not a question, just a comment. <clears throat> um, when I was chair of the Diversity and Inclusion Committee, uh, we brought in, we had meetings with all the department heads, Chief uh, Parenti, Chief Liver. Uh, John came in, and we had very uh, long discussions about um, staffing issues that we're seeing across town in all the departments. So if anybody's interested to get more into the details around, you know, Chief uh, Parenti, you know, provided a lot of details about operational philosophies, um, staffing, the challenges they're having, and turnovers and pay. And we talked a lot about um, reimbursement for, for training and, and diversity on the department. So if anybody's interested, all those meetings are posted on the Northboro YouTube uh, channel, and you can... You know, if you're interested, you can watch those because there's a lot more. There's a lot to talk about. A lot more depth to, to the conversations that we had okay. at those meetings. And John John came and talked about the administrative side of things yeah. too. And it's not too many people story. are looking to go into the municipal world right now, for a lot of reasons. At any level, from town administrator all the way down through. All the way down. Yeah. So we, just just as a resource for people, we had very good discussions about those things. Anything else? Well, thank you for your thank time. You. And as always, and I think I mention this every year, and I'm going to mention it again. You ever want to come look at our fire station? You ever want to come down and have a chat with me? Drop me an email. Give me a call. I'm open for you guys whenever you want. Because uh, sometimes we can't cover everything, you know. And uh, just can I come down and try to put a pump into a to an engine? You you can. <laughs> <laughs> the guy that's doing the work, who, who does our pump work. Wayne Perkins and I were on shift together for 15 years. He's a guy I worked with, but, and I used to work for him doing pump work years ago. They'll just ask you to hold the end of the hose out in the parking lot, and they'll be right back. What's the worst that can happen? We'll be right back. You feel a little pressure. <laughs> Thank you, Chief. Thank you very much. Thank you, Chief. Okay. The next item on our agenda is just to go over our next meeting dates. So on March 28th, which will be uh, next Monday, we have a meeting with the Board of Selectmen. A joint meeting with the Board of Selectmen, and there will not be an appropriations meeting that week, but the following week on April 7th will be our next appropriations meeting. So uh, um, the meeting on Monday is the uh, uh, charter-required public hearing on the budget, so uh, so it's mandatory appearance, so please, if you can't make it. That's a Zoom meeting, right? It will be by Zoom, yes. So that is a joint meeting. So we'll need a quorum of the board. Um, they're still meeting by Zoom because they're taking public comment and there's a desire to have people to be able to call in remotely. And uh, we haven't, we're working on a hybrid system uh, for this room, but it's, it's a work in, in progress. Um, the other thing that's happening on Monday the 28th is our legislative delegations coming in. So I gave you a copy of that letter. Uh, so we wanna make sure that they're aware of what our priorities are. 
So the, they're coming in on the agenda first, then we'll hold the uh, budget uh, hearing. And that's all I have for you this evening. Will you entertain a motion? Yes. Entertain a motion. Uh, Kate Janice has made a motion that we adjourn the meeting. Every committee second. 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 No. second. Okay, Tim uh, made a second, so we have a motion has been made and seconded. All in favor of adjourning the meeting. Thank you. Unanimous decision. So it is now a quarter after the hour of nine o'clock, and we will adjourn our meeting.